Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Keever, and I want to welcome you to our podcast, Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. I believe the Bible is a book that God gave to us that's full of insights, wisdom, promises, and many other things that help us live daily life. So join me for the next few minutes as we look into the Word of God to find that practical wisdom we need today. Well, praise God. Welcome again to Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. My name is Bill Kiefer, and I want to thank you for joining us today as we get into the Word to find out some things that are going to help us live our lives right here on earth. Thank God we have heaven as an eternal home, but I also thank God that God is interested in our lives here. We've been talking about a lot of things over the last year. We began the year by looking at the fact that God has invested tremendous potential into the lives of those people who have received Him as the Lord and Savior of their lives. We are not just human. We are people who are indwelt by Almighty God, and God wants to use us in mighty ways in the earth today. We've looked at a lot of different things, but today I want to take a a step towards something that actually I looked at at uh, the end of uh, 2019. Now, y'all remember 2019, right? That was pre-COVID. That was pre a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with now. And as I was getting ready to go to Kenya that year, God began to deal with me about teaching something that I hadn't taught in quite a long time. It just seemed like this was something that really wasn't in vogue at that point. And not only that, I was going to Kenya. Now, Africans uh, really know how to pray. I'm telling you, when they pray, uh, (laughs) you know that, uh, that they're praying. You know that something is happening in the realm of the Spirit. And so the topic that God began to deal with me about was teaching on spiritual warfare. And that's kind of really at the heart of a lot of what Africans are and what they do. And I I just argued with God about it. I said, "I, I just don't think that I'm the one to go teach on this. Not that I didn't know about it, not that we hadn't been operating in it, but it just seemed like an odd place to be teaching on spiritual warfare. But God spoke to me and said, we are heading into a new decade. Now, that's that's 2019. We're going into 2020. If you look at history, every decade in the 20th century had a particular character, something that was going on. And I believe that has to do not only with man, but it also has to do with God. I believe God has a purpose for every year, and I believe he has a purpose for decades. He's the one that set all this into motion. If you look at the first chapter of the book of Genesis, he says he puts the sun, the moon, the stars, all those things out there to be for signs and for seasons, for days, for months, for years on the earth. I believe God knows how much time we have, and I believe he has a purpose for every year and every decade. And so uh, we're about to go into the 2020s, and I felt like God said to me, that decade is going to be significant. It's going to be different. Something is about to happen. And so as we ended 2019, both for Africa, for me personally, and I feel like it was a word of the Lord to me, that we needed to teach about spiritual warfare because although the war has always gone on between God and the devil, it was about to step up a notch. notch. There was something more going to be happening. And so I had no idea. I'd never heard of COVID. I didn't know about all the economic things that were going to happen. I had no idea 
how the 2020 election would go. I had no idea about the riots that we would see in 2020. I had no idea about any of it. And to me, it still continues today. There's a tremendous uh, conflict between good and evil, light and darkness, God and the devil. And that's really what we want to focus on. Uh, I believe that it's important for us as a church to realize we have a role to play in times like these, and we always do. And certainly our primary role is to bring people into the kingdom of God. But the Bible has something to say about the role of his people in times of difficulty. In 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. We are God's people. And what we do, has much more uh, impact than what happens in the world. I, you know, the, the governments change, politics changes. God spoke to me recently and said, as long as my people begin to depend on what happens in the political realm, meaning, you know, we were looking at this midterm election as a real watershed moment, and it didn't quite turn out to be that for those of us that are conservative. But as long as the people of God think that that's the solution to the problems, we're missing it. We're not being what God wants us to be. It's our job to seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, and pray, and he will hear from heaven, and he will heal our land. But that involves us being what we're supposed to be. And one aspect of what we're supposed to be is that we are in the earth an army. Now, uh, I believe the church is three basic things. It is a family first and foremost. It is a team that God calls together, and we're talking about a local church now, is a team that God calls together to do something in their community and in their world, really. And it is also an army that is set against the forces of darkness to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. That's our job. And so what God was telling me was we needed to turn up the level of our understanding of spiritual warfare and of Uh, a particular question that God placed on my heart, and that is this, are we a church at peace or are we a church at war? I believe we've always been a church at war, but there are seasons in any war where the battle is more fever-pitched, where it's more important. There are battles, the American, uh, not American Revolution, but the Civil War. There was a battle called Gettysburg. It was fever-pitched. It was the most important battle of that war really had the South won, they'd have been able to march on Washington and the war probably would have been over uh, in a way that those of us from the North would not have appreciated. But because the North won, really, and in every practical way, the war was over. The South simply did not capitulate. And so it went on for another two, I think, years Uh, and many, many lives were lost. But that battle was the pivotal battle. I believe we're looking at a pivotal battle. It's probably not the only one the church has fought or will fight, but I believe the 2020s are a pivotal battle in the realm of the Spirit. And Peter uh, kind of tells us something that I think is very important. And I'm going to read it from two different translations. First of all, the New King James, First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Peter says, be sober. Now, that doesn't mean be sad. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
And so God is not talking about us walking around with long faces all the time and we're sober and we're, you know, we're just, uh, we're depressed because of all this going on. That's not really what this means. It means to be, uh, to be serious. I think it's time for us to consider that the church of Jesus Christ needs to get serious about the things of God, about its role in the world, about standing up for righteousness, about coming against the evil. And and, and we're going to talk in a moment about the nature of this war, but in, in coming against the evil that des- that desires to tear down godliness, to tear down God's people, and to cause us not to be able to bring into the kingdom of God the people that God knows needs to come. And this 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 enemy that we have also is against us personally. So Peter says, be sober, be serious. Time to get serious about some things. And really what I see happening too often is that just the opposite is what we're doing. We're getting less serious about the things of God. We're we're kind of laying back more. We're kind of thinking in terms of well, you know, life in the earth, what God has for us, what what uh, what the world has for us. We don't need to be so uh, so extreme. Uh, be, we can enjoy life, and we can, but we need to be serious first and foremost, about the things of God. Our priority structure as Christians has to be God first, family second, everything else after that. And so uh, he says, be sober, get serious. Then he says, be vigilant. This means to be watchful. We need to begin to get uh, aware, to have our spiritual senses more aware, to look out for things, to understand what's going on in the world around us. A lot of things that happen that don't seem to be all that important if we are tuned into what God has, uh, uh, what God desires to say to us, then we'll realize that they are far more important than we think. Be vigilant, be serious, and be watchful because your adversary, now I mentioned this not long ago, ago, but my wife was reading something about the difference between an enemy and an adversary, and I think it's powerful, and that that is this. An enemy is out there, but an adversary is arrayed against you. We have many enemies to the United States and the world, but not any right now are arrayed directly against us. We have no adversary that we're fighting. In other words, like in World War II, the adversary was Germany, Japan, and for a while, Italy. We don't have anything like that right now. Uh, There is noise about China. There is noise about Russia. There is noise about North Korea. There's always the Islamic extremist uh, enemy that we have out there, but none of them are actively involved in, in fighting against us Uh, the way you would think of in terms of war, but we do have an adversary. Peter says he's our adversary. He's called the devil, and he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the sufferings we experience are the same as those suffered by your brotherhood, uh, uh, the other brethren, rather, in the world. So, I want to read it in the New Living. It says, be careful, watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy, and I would say that word would be better adversary, 
He prowls about like a roaring lion, looking for some victim to devour. I think we need to look at that roaring lion, understand that he is powerless against our God. Come on, somebody. God is still God. Just because of what we see out there, sometimes I don't watch a whole lot of news because it's too depressing. It makes me have a hard time focusing on what I know to be true, and that is that God is still God. He is still almighty. He is still in control of everything, but he has chosen to work through people from the time he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden until this day he's chosen to work through people. So we need to understand something. A lot of what we see kind of the church falling into uh, might be true. For instance, there was an extreme of the grace message. I don't know if it's still out there or not. I suspect it is. But that basically said it doesn't matter how you live because Jesus paid the price, paid the price for everything. So we can just do whatever we want and everything is forgiven. And that's all there is to it. Well, that's a lie from the devil. Jesus did pay the price, but the Bible is full of repentance. The Bible is full of a need for the people of God to have their hearts set on God, to turn to God when they do something that's outside of his purpose, outside of his will, and outside of his word. And so we still need to repent. And all of that might be true. Everything might just come upon us, and we don't need to be actively Uh, engaged in believing God if we didn't have an adversary, but we do. And this adversary is beginning to roar at a higher degree than ever before in my lifetime, and we need to be ready for it. He says, watch out for attacks by this adversary, the devil. He prowls like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a victim, and I don't have to be a victim, but we have to understand the days in which we live. I want to talk a little bit about history. I like history. I study history. I, I've studied the wars that uh, our country in particular has been involved in, and World War II is something that, that um, I like to study. My son likes to study. Uh, all of my sons really like to study. My wife likes to study. And so uh, there's an interesting thing that happened. Now, I'm not old enough to have been in, around during those years, but I was born very late in my parents' life, and they were around, and they told me stories direct stories about the things that happened. And so historically, if you look at the United States before uh, Pearl Harbor, what you see is a country that is coming out of the Depression slowly, but they're beginning to be able to have some some, um, uh, prosperity again. They're beginning to be able to rebuild their lives. Uh, They're still fresh in their memory, the horror that was World War I. There was a tremendous difference between World War I and World War II, and I'm going to share that in a moment. But they remembered that horror. And when Hitler began to be active in Europe, not there wasn't so much focus on the Japanese, I think, publicly. But when Hitler began to be active in Europe and, and countries were falling and all of these things were happening, the general thought in America was, we're separated from all that by an ocean. We don't want anything to do with it. That's their problem, not our problem. America first. We're going to take care of us. We don't want to be involved in that war. And so you had a very kind of selfish look at things. It didn't matter. They didn't care what was happening to the people in the countries that were being overrun. They didn't really care what was happening to Great Britain. As long as we had ours, as long as we were safe, we were a country at peace 
and we wanted to stay at peace. And there were demonstrations against getting involved in the war. There was a, a, a large political uh, a contingent of people that said, no, we're not going to deal with this again. We're not sending our troops over there again. We're not going to suffer all that loss again. We're fine. We're, we're taken care of. We don't want anything to do with it. So it was a country that although the rest of the war, a world was at war, uh, practically, our country was at peace. They said, we have peace. There's nothing to worry about. We shouldn't get involved. Then something changed, and that something was December 7th, 1941. And anyone that's listening to me who ha- does not know what that date means or what happened on that date, shame on you. That's one of those dates like uh, like uh, September 11th, 2001, that should never be forgotten. December 7th, 1941, uh, there was uh, an attack on this country that thought there was peace, thought there'd be no problem, thought we were immune from the warfare that was going on. And the Japanese Navy bombed Pearl Harbor in a secret attack that nobody saw coming, or at least not enough to, to, uh, to stop it. And the, there was a complete surprise on our naval forces in Pearl Harbor. A great part of our fleet was there. And so there was this tremendous uh, attack, tremendous loss of ships and tremendous loss of life. And almost overnight, my parents told me about this. They, they shared with me what happened in the United States at that time. Almost overnight, this country went from a country that was at peace and that said everything was fine, nothing will happen to us. They realized that this war had come to them. And overnight, they began to do things like like take up uh, collections for rubber and uh, scrap metal. P- women uh, saved their, their nylon stockings so that parachutes could be made. They dealt with things like rationing for all of the war years. Cars were no longer made in this country, and no one could buy a new car because all of the focus had shifted from that point in Pearl Harbor on Everybody's focus was on winning this war because they realized a couple of things. Number one, that when the world is at war, you cannot hide. Can I tell you something, Christian? It may seem like the things that go on overseas or the things that are happening politically or the things that are happening uh, socially and culturally, it may seem to you like they don't really affect you. That's not, it's not part of, I can just go ahead and live my life. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to think about this, this conflict that seems to be going on. It's manifested in so many ways. Have you ever seen a time where there was so much conflict between different aspects and of our culture, different people and different cultural places, whether it's racial culture, city, country culture, uh, any other educated, non-educated culture, working man versus versus uh, uh, corporate leadership culture, all of that. That's There's so much animosity, so much conflict in the earth. And we, we think often, because it may not affect us directly, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. We are at war. From December 6th to December 7th, of 1941, the United States went from being a people at peace, focused on their own lives, focused on 
uh, building their own uh, prosperity back and some just, not just prosperity, but just having something, having food again, having something, some kind of work. They were focused on that to December 7th and on through the end of that war, the main focus in everyone's life. Now, I'm sure there were exceptions, but you didn't see a lot of anti-war demonstrating or anything like that. You didn't see people demonstrating or complaining so much. I'm sure there were some who didn't like it, but they dealt with the rationing. Meat was rationed. Sugar was rationed. uh, Milk was rationed. Just about every staple was rationed, and you could only have so much. But people understood that we could no longer hide from this war that was affecting the globe. And I think they began to understand something else. The difference between World War I and World War II is that World War I was largely a political war, but it had a lot to do with gaining territory. Who controlled what territory? World War II was not about that. World War II was far more about who can, uh, could control or who dominated humanity from that point on. Adolf Hitler and others like him, they weren't concerned about just gaining territory. He talked a lot about we need the Germans needed living space, but his his desire was to dominate the entire world. And that is just a manifestation of the desire of Satan to dominate the future, the destiny, the lives of God's children called humanity. And so this was not a war between just uh, groups of people. As a matter of fact, this was not really ever a war, and many didn't really know this. But if you look at it from a spiritual perspective, this wasn't a war against the German people, the Japanese people, or the Italian people. And I think most people understood that. This was a war against an ideology. This was a war against a system that had those people under their control. The people were not the enemy. The system was the enemy. Now, there were many people that got caught up in that system, and they began to fight for that system, and then those people... People had to uh, have, there were consequences that came on them for being aligned with that system, but they were never the enemy. As a matter of fact, it was always a war of liberation. I was in Germany in 2010, and we were going to go, my my youngest son and I were going to go visit Normandy. And as we went to, uh, through Germany ministering, uh, we were really hesitant to talk about that because we thought, How will the German people feel that we're trying to minister to, knowing that we're going to a place to celebrate a victory where their grandfather may have died or their fathers may have died? But when it finally came up around a dinner table, what they said to us, the family we're staying with, what they said to us was this, we look at Normandy, at the invasion of of Europe in France, as a a liberation for us as much as it was for the French or for anybody else. It was always about liberating people from this terrible system that crushed people, that tried to control people and dominate people. But that is the nature of the devil. And that's the war we're fighting right now. But the question is, are we a church at peace or are we a church at war? If we're a church at peace, then we focus on ourselves. We focus on just 
enjoying life and enjoying our family and being good Christians. You know, we don't want to be too bad. We don't want to do anything too bad, and we certainly should witness, but there is not this focus when uh, that, that I knew when I first got saved and into the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We were really focused because we understood something that, that there was a war on, and we were on the front lines of that war. Today, it feels like the church is thinking we're at peace, and that being the case, that takes away our focus on the things that will help us win this war. Uh, we, we do have peace. Let me just say that. We have an inward peace. God says in Philippians that we have a peace that passes understanding. That's something that we need to focus on as well, because in the middle of war, we need to know that there is a peace of God in us. But what are we doing? Where is our focus? Are we understanding that the lives of men, women, and children all around us are at stake, that there is a culture war against godliness, that there is a economic war to try and limit what the church can do to even preach the gospel? Part of the whole COVID war was that kept people from going overseas to, to hungry, needy, spiritually needy people that were ready to receive. We couldn't go to those people because of that attack. It was part of this war, and that war ramped up in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 and will continue, I think, throughout the 20s. I don't know for sure, but we need to understand we are not a people at peace. The Church of Jesus Christ is in the middle of a war, and it's a it's a desperate war, and it's an important war, and it's one that we cannot lose. Now, here's the good news. We won't lose it. No matter what victories the devil may win in this decade, we won't lose the war because God is on our side. Almighty God is going to win in the end. But what will our part be? Will we play the part that we should? Will we be part of the solution or will we just lay down and become a victim? Remember uh, that that Second uh, Peter 1 in the, in the New Living, I like it because it says he's looking, this roaring lion is looking for some victim to devour. I'm not a victim victim. You're not a victim. I'm not going to, I don't want God to move uh, in spite of me. I want God to move because I'm playing the role I'm supposed to play. I want to look at another scripture. And this scripture is in uh, Ezekiel chapter 13. And this was a time in Israel's life where they were at war. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel actually had already gone into captivity, but there was the southern kingdom. At that point, there were two kingdoms that made up the, the overall nation of Israel that we think of today. The southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin, and uh, they were basically the ones who were still keeping their hearts toward God. They were still keeping the law as God had given it. They were still worshiping in the temple. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had walked away from all that, but they had gone into captivity. But now, because of compromises in the southern kingdom, that kingdom was also under threat to go into captivity. And the prophet Ezekiel, he was not a, good, a, a very popular prophet of his day. He did not really uh, he didn't really say things that people wanted to hear, but he told them what they needed to hear. And in verse 10, it says, because indeed, because they have seduced my people saying peace when there is no peace and one builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. We'll look at that in a moment. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fail. There will be a flooding rain. And you, O great hailstones, shall fall, 
and a stormy and and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely, when the wall has fallen, it will not be said to you, "Where is the mort?" Will it not be said to you, "Where is the mortar?" Uh, with which you plastered it. Therefore, says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones in fury to con, uh, consume it. I want to jump down to 16. He says, that is uh, verse 15. Thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and those who have plastered it with untempered mortar, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace. Uh, it says in another part of this section that that they were prophesying and they were they were hoping they were hoping that their words of prophecy would be confirmed. You know, I've been involved in much of the prophetic movement over the last number of years. I, I highly believe in prophecy, but I think too often the prophecies that we're hearing are, are really flowing from what people want to hear instead of what people need to hear. In this time, the, there were prophets all over Judah declaring that nothing's going to happen. I mean, the kingdom of Israel went into uh, to, uh, captivity because they were evil, but we're the good guys, and nothing's going to happen to us. And they began to proclaim peace. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. We're not going to have the problems that they did. But God says to them that they had been plastering with un tempered mortar. And uh, in the in the new, uh, I mean, in the Amplified Bible, it says, because even because they have seduced my people saying peace when there is no peace, and because when one builds a flimsy wall, behold, these prophets daub it over with whitewash. They were building a flimsy wall of prophecies that God had not spoken, saying that everything was going to be all right when God said it wasn't going to be all right, and, and God called that a flimsy wall. See, when we begin to prophesy things that are not God, and we say things, whether it's prof- saying it prophetically or just saying it in our preaching or teaching or just saying it in our in our everyday living that everything's fine all of this doesn't matter oh it's bad but everything's going to be okay and it will because god is on our side but it won't if we think we're at peace the problem with what the prophets prophesied was you're at peace you don't have to worry about the war don't get involved you're at peace everything's going to be fine and god said when you do that you are building a wall that's going to fall. And he talks about this flood, and he talks about rain, and he talks about all uh, this weather that was going to tear down this wall. And it reminded me of what Jesus said. He said, if you build your house on the rock, then it will stand up against the storm. But for those who build their house on the sand, on unstable, it's kind of like that 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 mortar. It was mortar that hadn't set right. It was mortar that, that hadn't been cured the way it should be. And it was put on on the walls to strengthen them, but all it was was whitewash. Whitewash doesn't strengthen anything. And and he said that because you built them that way, they're not going to stand. I think there are many people out there building walls that are not going to stand. I think there are many churches building walls around themselves, building wall 
walls that that say we need to cooperate with the culture. We need to flow with the culture. We need to be nice to everybody. We should be nice to everybody. We should love everybody. But they're saying that that's the solution. It's not. I've heard people say that the solution is for those of us who are uh, Pentecostal. This was talking about Pentecostals. Could talk about Charismatics or anybody else that's that's conservative, that's a Bible-believing person. If we'd get more scholarly, then people won't look at us like we're so weird, and then we'll be able to do something for God. That is a lie from the devil, the Bible all through it. And we're going to talk about that next time. What does the New Testament say about this? The Bible, in the New Testament in particular, tells us that we are never going to fit in, that that is not the way to win the world. The way to win the world is to be the light of the world, to allow the light of God to shine through us. And I thought about this uh, this flimsy wall that they built, and I thought about the house built on the rock. And the rock, the house built on the rock, it never said that the storms wouldn't come, but it said that when the storms came, the house would survive. Now, I believe that there are those of us out here who are building our houses on the rock, who are building walls that are not made of untempered mortar, on uh, mortar that's not, not really strong enough to do the job. I believe there are many of us out there. There's a remnant of God's people that are building with the right stuff, that are thinking the right way, and they understand we are a church at war. Do not listen to those who say that spiritual warfare doesn't have a place, that, that we don't need to be so, uh, so uh, committed and so extreme about our stances. We don't need to be so extreme about praying and coming against the enemy. This thought, I mean, I, I just feel like this thing, and I, maybe I'm wrong, and if I am, I apologize, but what I keep hearing and what I keep sensing and feeling is that the whole idea of fighting against the devil, that's not something we should be doing, and yet the New Testament doesn't agree with us if that's our stance. We need to understand something because it determines how we face life. It determines what we prioritize. It determines what we'll do and what we won't do. We are a war, a church at war, not a church at peace. And we need to start to act like it. We need to start to prioritize the things of the kingdom of God. We need to start to prioritize righteousness because one of the ways we fight against unrighteousness is to stand uncompromised in righteousness. That's part of being the salt of the earth. We are the preservative. We are the that which seasons. Both are important. That's part of being the light of the world because we shine as a light of righteousness. And Paul said the light reproves or exposes the darkness. We need to understand who we are in this day. We're going to go into another year in 2023 in just a very short period of time. God hasn't spoken anything to me about 2023 yet. I believe he will before it's uh, before this one's over. But whatever 2023 holds, whether it's more of 2022 or something entirely different, listen, there is a dangerous world out there. There are a lot of things that that could, with just a little tip one way or another, a lot of things that could happen, both good and bad. I'm believing for the good, but I tell you, we have an adversary, and he's pushing it towards the bad. Brother and sister, what I really want to say is be sober. Get serious about the things of God. Get vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Watch out for things that we need to stand against. Be praying. 
praying for uh, God's will to be done. That's part of the warfare. Be living as Christians right out there in the world with righteousness and integrity. We need to make our righteousness and our integrity and our holiness something that we will not compromise on, that no matter what people say, that we will not back off that, but temper that with our love and our mercy for those who need to know Jesus. Our enemy is not the people. We are living in the world, and the world is a system, just like Nazism was a system. The world is a system that has held many, many people captive, and right now it's trying to expand to the point where it can control everything. We we cannot allow that to happen. We must stand against that. We have to pray. We have to go after those who are held captive, just as when we invaded uh, Europe and the other battles in that world war that was fought by our forefathers, it was a war of liberation. I'm talking about a war of liberation. The people are not the enemy, but the powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness, and heavenly places that Paul talks about in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. That is our enemy, and they are ramping it up. Well, I want you to know, we have a God who is also ramping it up, but he moves through us. We're important to the equation. So let's get stirred up. Let's make some resolution. You want to make a resolution in 2023? Then stand up and say, I'm going to get sober about the things of God. I'm going to get serious about the things of God. And I'm going to start to be watchful for that enemy called the devil who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'm going to understand that whatever's happening around the world, and this is part of what it says in 1 Peter 2. He says, resist him being the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Whatever's happening out there, we are not immune to it any more than we were in December 6th of 1941 from December 7th of 1941. But may the God of all grace, who called to us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Listen, we've been suffering, and there is a little more suffering, I think, to go on. And I'm talking about the resistance of our culture, financial suffering, things of that nature. But God says here, after you've suffered for a while, it may look bad for a while, but God is going to perfect and establish and strengthen and settle us so that we can go through to the end of the age in strength and power of God in Jesus' name. Well, God bless you. I'm way over my time. Have a great week in the Lord. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Remember, that's about giving thanks to God, not about turkey. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is an outreach of Living Word International, a division of Intercession Ministries. If you'd like to contact us, please email livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. That's livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. Have a great day.